Good morning, everybody. We are glad that you are here. You're like, usually we sing a couple more songs. Well, today we've got uh, some special things going on, and we want to make sure that we had uh, uh, enough time to do that all and, and, and not be here until uh, Thursday. Although, you know, if we, if we were here until Thursday, it probably would be a good thing as well. And so, but uh, wanted to uh, kind of make sure we honor everybody's time, but yet also have the conversations that need to be had today. And so we are glad that you are here with us. If you are uh, new with us at home or you're online or here with us, uh, wherever you're at, uh, if you would go and to, to cchmd.com slash connect, and there you can fill out the connection card there. Let us know where you are watching us from. Uh, if you are part of our family, you can do that as well, and just kind of a good way for us to kind of just check in with us and, and say, hey, uh, see how things are, and, uh, and unless you can uh, put in prayer requests there, uh, you can also, there's also uh, a link to all of our videos uh, on that site. You can go to the CCHMD Live right from that spot, and you can see all the videos from uh, past Sundays, or the videos we put up during the week, even our children's and student ministry videos are located at that spot as well. Uh, we will be doing communion here in, in a little bit as part of our sermon. And so if you are at home or if you're here and you haven't yet uh, grabbed uh, your uh, supplies for communion, you can go ahead and do that now or anytime during the sermon, just kind of sneak your way back and grab that. We, we'll, we'll, yeah. you, you can be saying, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom and on the way back in, whoop, you know, you, however that works best for you. Uh, but uh, we will be doing that as part of the sermon later on today. Um, also, the, uh, the sermon notes are on a version Bible app. And so if you go get the version Bible app, you can download that. You can go to events and you can locate CCH. You can locate Church of Christ at Hagerstown. And today's sermon is for racial reconciliation, for racial reconciliation. And so you can uh, do find that there and um, follow along with those there. So as I said, today, today is a, a little bit different than some of our other uh, sermons, some of our other weeks, and uh, we're going to have a, a special guest. We have a special guest here along with us today. Uh, for those who've been around Hagerstown, uh, Tyree may not be uh, much of a, uh, uh, an unknown person. Uh, he is uh, someone who I have um, uh, been uh, thought favorably from afar. There's a word I've, I, I'm, like, I'm going to say that word. I can't remember what it is. But uh, I've respected him from a distance, and uh, over the last few weeks that we've been preparing for today, uh, I've been able to, uh, to, to respect him much more up close. And so uh, today, is, as Tyree comes to the stage, would you give him a, a warm CCH welcome? So Tyree is a, 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 a gospel-advancing leader with a group called Dare to Share. Dare to Share is a youth organization that helps teach students how to share the gospel in their schools, in their home, in their lives, just kind of as they go about their life. And so he participates with that. He's also got his own, as part of that, he's got, he kind of, it runs a Facebook page called the Youth Minister Coach, I think, if I got that right. And so... Um, so we, we, he uh, uh, you know, has worked in youth ministry. He's a speaker in public schools, uh, and uh, yeah, he loves Jesus and loves helping teach other people to uh, love him more and share about him. And so today, uh, I was thinking as we were preparing, as I was thinking through this series, and uh, seeing we, we need to do a week that talks a bit more about uh, racial reconciliation, I thought that we might need a broader perspective from some white kid who grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And so um, as we were thinking about this and uh, knowing Tyree through David and, and having gotten to meet him a couple different times, I'm like, you know what, if, if Tyree is available at all in October, we need to do it on that Sunday. And so I said, Tyree, 
What, what about this? And so we talk back and forth. And, and, and in all of our conversations, we're like, hey, it needs to come from the gospel. It's not, this can't necessarily be a, a social construct. Because if it's a social construct, then it kind of changes with the times. It's kind of flimsy and back and forth. And, and, and it's, it becomes more whim-based. Oh, today I feel about like this, but tomorrow I don't. But if it comes from the gospel, if it comes from our position with Jesus, then, then it radically changes everything about our life. It, changes, it radically changes everything about the way we see the world around us. And so, so from the very beginning, we, we, we were like, okay, how do we, how do we then begin to form this and put this together? And so oh, I'm excited about what today is going to be like and what we're going to be able to learn and, 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 and take away from this. You know, last week, uh, Kevin, in this month, as we are preparing for the uh, upcoming election, uh, we're like looking at four, four major issues, four major things that the church should always vote for. So last week we talked about being for life, and not just about being for life for those, those nine months that uh, the baby is in the womb, but also being for life from, from the womb all the way to the tomb, that we make sure that everyone has, has justice and able to uh, 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 live the life that God has laid out for them, you know, that they would be able to, to uh, pursue uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we choose those who vote for life? And so this week, we're talking about uh, racial reconciliation, a, a topic that's even been kind of front of mind, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of, of all that's going on with that and, the, and, and quarantine and having these, you know, these restrictions and those restrictions. This, is, this has made it so we've been, been able to cut through all that noise to still be very much front of mind. And so uh, as we're thinking about this today, I, I want to start about... Think about with the end in mind. With the end in mind. See, we, 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 we as believers know that this world is not our home. That, 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 that as the old hymn says, we're just uh, passing through, right? We're, this, is, this is not uh, our final destination. And so what does eternity look like? What does the end look like? And so uh, with that in mind, you, 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 go, you turn to Revelation. And John gives us this beautiful picture of what life in heaven will be like. He says this in Revelation 7, verse 9. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. There's John. And John is just try, he's trying to get down on paper as fast as he can this vision, this revelation that God has given him. As fast as he, he's just writing it down. And, and there's some things I want us to notice about this. As we're looking at the multitude, that we're looking at the scene that, that John gives us, and the first one I want you to notice is the size of the crowd. The size of the crowd. There before me, John says, was a great multitude that no one could count. Have you ever... Have you ever been to like a ball game or a concert? Maybe you've been down to D.C. on the 4th of July, and you're like, I, I wonder how many people are here. And you look, and you're just in this sea of humanity. Have you ever been to a ball game, and they've got like, like somewhere there in the 6th, 7th, 8th inning, they'll put up on the screen, and you've got guess the attendance. And you're like, well, how many people does this place hold? And you're like, well, you know, is there a good year? Is there a down year? How many empty seats are there today? And you begin to look and, and count, and you, you make your guess. And John looks out and he goes, I, I can't count them all. Has anyone ever tried to take attendance in church? You stand there in the back and you're like, 
Is that the same person? Did they, did they move? Did they go to the bathroom and come back? Well, I was kind of, did, they, did I get everybody? And so it's, 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 it's you, know, you try to count, even, even a church the size of ours, sometimes it's hard to, to, to get a good, accurate count. And John looks across, and he's like, whoa, this great multitude. I, no one could count them. No one could count them. The other thing I want you to look at is the, uh, the makeup of the crowd. The makeup of the crowd. John says, the crowd came from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Yeah, it's like if you go to watch, uh, you go watch a ball game and you see those who are fans of your team and fans of the other team. Or maybe you're a fan of no team. You're just like, hey, I'm just going to a ball game because I like a ball game. Maybe you, you, you live in a town away from where your home team plays. And it's like, we're going to a ball game. It's just between these two teams. And you just, well, you start counting who's, you know, who's for, for this team, who's for that team. And you see, you see the makeup from different tribes or from different Nations, they speak a different language, right? And John looks across and he goes, there are people who don't look like me. There are people who don't act like me. There are people who don't talk like me. There are people who don't have the same customs as me. And he goes, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. That they all don't look like me and that they all don't talk like me. That we all have something that's slightly different. And maybe, just maybe that old children's song is right, that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Guess what? Those little children grow up to be adults. And God's love doesn't end for them when they cease being children. And so red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in his sight. And so when we gather together, when God calls us home, guess what? We're going to be standing in a sea of rainbow humanity. And we're going to see the beauty and the depth of the, of the creativity of God. One last thing I want you to notice. Where is this crowd? Standing before the throne, and they are all wearing white. White's symbolic, especially in, in, in Revelation. In Revelation, they, they, if you're wearing white, that means you're on God's side. You've been purified by the Lamb. That, that you, have, you, you are counted among followers of Jesus. And so all these people from all these different nations, all these different tongues, all these different tribes, all these different places, God loves them all. And he sent his son Jesus to die for them. And so no one can claim a superiority. No one can claim that, they have, that they've cornered the market on God's grace, that God loves them more than another. God looks out, John looks out and he sees this crowd all four corners of the earth, from different walks of life, from different socioeconomic strata, from, from different languages, different tribes, different customs. And they are all standing before God, wearing white, with palm branches in their hands, worshiping the Lamb. And so with the end in mind, thinking about that, and then thinking about the, the role of the church, the role of the church is to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. What did Jesus pray in, in, in the model prayer? May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And so if it's our job to bring heaven to earth, how do we begin to make peace amongst people? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's really good. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, 
know when um, Pastor Mike was talking about a visitor, you, know, you probably wonder, man, who who is it? Man, we can't can't determine, can't tell who who the visitor might be. Uh, I'm being, I'm joking. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, I know, I know. You're like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm in the principal's office <laughs> right now. Like, breathe. It's gonna be okay. Trust me. Trust me. It's not gonna be a. It's not gonna be. It might be uncomfortable, but it's a good. It's a good uncomfortable. It's a. It's a growth. It's a growth. Um. Uh. Let's pray. Let's pray first. All right. Yeah. God, we ask you to um, uh, be the Lord in this place. We thank you that you are Lord in this place. And God, we ask that um, uh, that the words that we speak will be words from your throne. Uh, we ask that uh, he who has an ear to let him hear what the word of God has to say to the church. We are the church. And God, as we leave this church, we're still the church. Um, Father, I pray that we can be uh, little Christians, little Christ-like beings, uh, at our home, in our community, and at our workplace. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. What do you got for us? Um, we, uh, I, I want to I wanna kind of preface it with this. Um, I'm a registered independent voter, all right? So hopefully that'll help a lot of concern, okay? Uh, I literally sit in the middle and call both sides hypocrites. That's the luxury that I get as a registered independent voter. Um, and uh, the, the reason why is because I believe that, because I, I worked with, I've worked with youth for so long that I believe that if you can't, um, I, I believe that if you can't see the, the beauty or take elements from each side and bring them together, um, that you'll miss out on a lot of things. That when you think, oh, one side is always has to be absolutely correct, the other side is always absolutely wrong. I don't think that's the way to live life at all. So working with young people, um, many of you have had young people, and, and you know that although they are off the wall sometimes, there's still some good ideas that they have if you slow down and you listen to them long enough. And so with working with youth, I, I've learned that um, they have this uh, process of where the brain doesn't get fully developed. Science to say at age 25 is when the brain's fully developed. Uh, I know some 40-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> but science says that uh, when the brain is fully developed is, is at age 25. And so uh, so from when they're growing up and they're still processing things, uh, they, still have, they still have good ideas. You know what I mean? And so uh, I just want to preface that as being uh, registered independent. So you know I am not for one party or against another. I think if we slow down and we listen long enough that we can see the beauty that there's beauty there on, on each side. Or else we see one side as a winner and one side is always a loser. And I don't think that is, anyway, because once we begin to do that, we automatically begin to split up the room. We automatically begin to create enemies. And I often wonder if sometimes when we post stuff like, oh, this party is stupid, this party's an idiot, and then we're like, hey, come to my church, we're having a event. And people are like, how's that work? You just called a whole group of people stupid, and I ain't saying come. Everyone's welcome. I don't, I don't understand that. And I think that the world is confused, and I think that Christ is out there like, what are they doing? <laughs> what in the world? What in the world are they doing? What's, what's your thought? Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting to look at how we treat one another. Yeah, and I, I think there's, there's a lot. 
that is talked about and seen in, in, in the media that sometimes that draws sharper lines than if we would just sit down and have a cup of coffee with someone. I, right. Even though I don't think either one of us drink coffee. coffee. No, <laughs> no. But those people who do drink coffee, they can get together and drink coffee. We'll drink water or whatever. Right. Yeah, and, right. and, 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 and if you have a conversation with someone, all of a sudden you realize that the, these sharp lines that are drawn by people who get paid to hear themselves talk, uh, then, then often you realize that they're not near as sharp as others. And right. you're, oh, wait, I can learn something from you, and you can learn something from me. And, and as I said earlier, we're all on this journey together. Right. And as we journey together, then that's where we get, you know, that whole iron sharpens iron. We get to where we need to be better and faster uh, when we begin to learn from each other's right. experiences. Yeah. And I think as believers, where do we take our cues from? Do we take our cues from media? Do we take our cues from the Word of God? Because the Bible was not written for America. I know it's a shock, right? Because it's in English. But the Bible was not written, it wasn't written for Americans. It was written so Americans could read it eventually, but it was written for Jews and then Gentiles, or who were Gentiles, all those who weren't of Jewish culture. So the Bible, in its context, is not American in context. All right, so it's it's we'll we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so so when Jesus begins to talk in the Gospels, he talks about the Samaritan. He's talking to a Jewish culture, and the Jewish culture hated the Samaritans. So every time Jesus begins to talk about the Samaritans, he begins to bring up race relations. Every time, but we look at it as oh, it's a very cute story about the Samaritans and the Samaritan woman at the well, without knowing context. You would just blow through those things. Just like, oh, it's just a cute story. But Jesus is literally talking to his congregation of people who look like him, and, uh, who look like him in the same culture as him. And now he's introducing a new culture called the Samaritans. Everyone knew about the Samaritans. Matter of fact, the Bible says that uh, in, back in those days that people would literally, like, say, like Samaria is here, people would walk around Samaria to get to another land. But in Scripture, it says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And there's a reason why it says he needed to go through. And there's a reason why when he's talking to Jewish people about the good Samaritans, how they clinch up, and now they feel like they're in the principal's office. And, oh, who's this guy? What's, what, what's what? And then the religious rulers were, like, furious, because why is he talking about these Samaritans? Why, why is he trying to bring them into the conversation? They don't, they don't belong in this conversation. And so when he begins to talk about Good Samaritan, Samaritan woman, uh, these different cultures, he's bringing up race relations. And he, is, he was great at making the religious people uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Matter of fact, we look through scriptures, the people that had beef with Jesus were religious rulers, chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious rulers, right? Um, but the unsaved people that didn't understand the kingdom they were attracted to him. He had crowds of people. He had crowds everywhere he went. So so much so that Zacchaeus had to get up in a tree, right? Remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the... Yeah, well, why? It wasn't just because he was little. It was because there were so many people around him. He had to get up in a tree to see him. People follow Jesus. He was in a house. And what did these guys have to do when, when their friend was sick? 
that cut a, a hole in the roof to drop him in because they couldn't get through the door. A crowd of people around Jesus and a woman with the issue of blood touched him. He looked around and said, who touched me? And what did Peter say? All these people around you and you, you're asking like, whatever. why? Because everybody was attracted to Jesus. The ones that weren't attracted to him were religious rulers, chief priests, Sadducees, and Pharisees. The religious crowd hated the teachings of Christ. And we got to ask ourselves, now if we apply it to America, why is that? Because he brought us some uncomfortable things that the religious audience didn't want to hear. But the non-believer was attracted to because of love. Um, and so, yeah, so that's where we went land. Where the, how do, uh, I'm kind of, I don't want to get off on a little... <laughs> Andrew, this is your church. Go ahead. And leave. Well, hey. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, we see it, you know, we, we see it, and, and Jesus came to save all people, right? You know, one of the first verses we teach our children is John 3.16. Right. For God so loved the, the world, right? It's the, 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 really the cosmos, everything that God created, everyone that God created. And uh, so, so as we... As we look in, we look in that verse in Revelation, and with the end in mind that God loves everyone of all these different races and tribes and nations, and, and He we're to bring that kingdom here to earth. You know, there are some who would say that. You know, as I look across our our, our crowd here today, um, we are uh, predominantly a white church, right? And there are some who say, well, because we are white, we are we we, we automatically are, are racist. And I don't, I don't think we can quite draw that line in conversations with, with Tyree. It's like, hey, you know what? We, we, uh, we might have some things right, but there's also room for us to grow. And that's why we want to have this kind of conversation today. There, there are things that we can become more fluent in and in, in how we deal with people from other backgrounds and other, and, and other tribes and nations. How can we grow into this to bring about reconciliation so there's, we don't have... Uh, near the same strife. Yeah, 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 the, uh, the, the, the Samaritans were those, those people you didn't talk about, right? Like, yeah, they came, and, and I, I believe even in some of their prayers, they might even said, thank God that I'm not a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. So has there ever been anyone in, in your life that as you've been praying to God, you're like, thank God I'm not them. Right. It, you know, so, so this isn't necessarily just a, a black-white thing. It can be any kind of cultural difference, any kind of difference in that, that, you know, we need to, to restore and repair. Because that person who you are praying that you're thankful that you're not like, God loves them too. Matter of fact, there was a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Remember that? He's at the altar, and what does Pharisee say? I thank God I'm not like that man. <clears throat> right? And what is the tax collector? He's recognizing his sin, beating his chest. Oh, God, have mercy on a sinner like me. God have mercy on a sinner like me. The Pharisees like, I thank God I'm not like his man. So again, if we apply this, because we're, we're believers, we got to look through it as a lens of believers. Who are we pointing at? I thank God I'm not like that man. And is there a group of people saying, God have mercy on a sinner like me? God, there's, there's, so, much, there's so many issues in my life. Like I need, I, I need help. I need hope. And the ones that should be offering it are saying, I thank God I'm not like that person. And so this is like the teaching. This is like the hard, ironing, yeah. sharp, and iron thing like you're talking about. And, and, and at the same time, we need to realize that sometimes there are things that have been easier for us because of uh, the, 
because maybe the, the, the color of our skin or the zip code we were raised in or the amount of income that either ourselves or our family brought in, that many of us live in a privileged position because we get to stand on the shoulders of those who've come before. We get, maybe our own diligency and hard work has, has raised our station. And so our children and, and future generations will be able to stand in a different station and start from a different point than, than those who've come before. And so, you know, what about those who weren't born with such privilege? I mean, while the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are not found in Scripture, they are very much a part of our country that was established using biblical principles to provide for and to protect the well-being of its citizens. And so when we say, hey, we, we, you know, we have the inalienable right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, who do we, it's easy for us to go, that, that I, I want that to apply to me. But are we willing to apply that same thought to everyone? You know, Paul writes to his friends in Galatia. So you have, you have, Paul wrote many letters, and many of them are to cities like Ephesus and Corinth. But he writes this one to, to, the, to a group of people called the Galatians. And Galatia was much more of a state. Okay, so, you know, I was born in the state of Illinois, so you're like having a, a, a book called Illinoisans or Marylanders or, or whichever, whatever you're from, like this is more of a state. And so in, in some of these cities, they would maybe naturally be some, some multi-ethnic kind of places, but definitely in, a, in an area, in a state, there were different tribes and there were different people and maybe some people with different backgrounds. And so Paul writes to them, and he talks about making distinctions. And he says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male, female, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul said, hey, we're one family. We're all one family. And it's not that uh, these differences cease to exist. You know, it's not like when I, be, when, I, when I was baptized, it's not like I ceased being a white guy. Then when like, Tyree, you know, came to Jesus, he ceased being a black man, right? No, no, we, 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 bring, we, we still have those distinctions. It's that those distinctions don't matter as much as they used to. It's, now that we belong to Jesus, they, they don't lose their significance. It's just that we have a, a higher principle. We have a higher calling. We have a higher uh, attachment. Paul says those who are believers, and I believe as followers of Jesus, we ought to change our it ought to change our perspective on the rest of humanity, or the way we view the rest of humanity. You know, no matter what faith they profess, no matter what background they are from, we, we it ought to change the way we view them. Instead of going and think that I'm not like them, we might look at them and see them in 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 their uh, station of life and go, Hey, you want? Can I lend a hand? And maybe you can't. Maybe like you know, that is out of my depth. I'm going to love. I'm maybe I can. Maybe I can reach out in some form or fashion. Maybe I know someone who might be able to help them. You know, but but do we? You know, do we walk by? You know, do do we act as as, as many Jews would? They would walk to the other side of the road and shake out their clothes and maybe even spit in the direction of them, going, "Stay away." You know, we wouldn't want to spit these days. You know, spread COVID. That's a, um, but you know, do we? Do we do that same sort of thing going, hey, this, this is a symbol of shunning you, of pushing you away, of, 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 make, of, of drawing that distinction. It's not that our demographic terms change, but it's just that when we begin to see those around us, race, religion, social status, gender, these distinctions 
that once may have caused strife in our life and in the lives of others, well, it should no longer cause strife. It should be a place where we get to see the beauty of the distinctions that God has created. And among believers in Jesus, we, we, it should, there's somewhere where we should lose uh, the significance as we get to see uh, the extraordinary variety of God's beautiful creation. From shades of skin, the difference in language, we are allowed to peek into the creativity of God. I remember uh, I, I spent a, a year in the Philippines, and it is a beautiful thing to hear someone pray in their native language. And, and it's funny because sometimes there are certain English words that are easier to say than, than their words, and so they would mix them together. And so like the, 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 the Tagalog word for pray is, is, is a full mouthful. But what they would do is they would say, magpray tayo. <laughs> like, yeah, that pretty much I mean. And so they would add English words in. But when you hear someone just start praying to God in their own language, you begin to realize that they're talking to the same God that we talk to in English. And you realize that, like you said, the Bible wasn't written in English. It, was, it wasn't written to an American context or an English-speaking context. It was written in a different time and a different space, but it's been passed down as, as uh, authentically and genuinely and accurately as possible to us to see what God has given to us. So we begin to see the world as he sees it, that these distinctions that once separate us should no longer separate us. And uh, they don't go away. They just lose their significance as we see more accurately the world the way God sees it. When, when the commentary, when, when commentary that I read, the guy said this. He said, when such distra- distinctions no longer matter, when men treat each other as true brothers in Christ, regardless of their social standing, then the power of such distinction is broken. And, on a basis, and a basis is laid for social change. And so when we look at the world around us, we see that there are some things that still need to change. Oh, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. But there's still a ways to go. And, uh, and we're, we're t- talking a little maybe about some of those changes and some of those things that we might be able to, to bring about. But, you know, w- w- what are some things that we can do? You know, think, think about the, the civil rights marches of the 60s. And, and, and I know that I, I wasn't alive. I, I, I got the, to, to be able to look back in, 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 in American history class and see the, how we navigated those times. But there are many of you who, who, who were alive during those times and saw uh, the strife and saw uh, how uh, people lived and, and, and began to navigate that change. And they were legitimate marchers. They were legitimate. That was a legitimate activity because they saw that God's laws had been usurped, especially laws concerning the dignity of man. And so there are those who said, I'm going to stand up. I'm, I'm going to, to interpose myself in between uh, uh, what, is, what, what God calls us to be and to do and, and the world that I see us living in. And see, interposition is when the righteous agents of God advocate on behalf of those facing an imminent threat or danger. And so as we look at the world around us, do we see those who are kind of on the fringes? Do we see those who, are, who have been beat down and who face injustice? This means that the people of God need to stand up when they can, how they can, where they can, to protect those who face injustice whenever and wherever they find it. And see, real change like this never happens from the top down. So it doesn't matter who gets elected in November. It doesn't matter. A presidential decree has not really ever fixed anything. Uh, legislation from Congress 
has never really fixed anything. But if we want to see real change in our communities, if we want to see real freedom in our community and real peace, kind of change that can only happen from the bottom up. It can only happen when the people of God begin to find their ways into places and have the conversations that need to be had where change can be made. Do we really believe that God loves all the people of the world? Or do we only believe he loves those like us, who talk like us, who act like us? See, when the people of God see and respond to injustice whenever and wherever they find it, then the gospel has true power to change lives wherever it goes. Yeah, um, so when, when you were talking about that, it reminds me of when Christ uh, told the people to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they try to find a loophole, right? They uh, okay, well, but who's my neighbor, right? Because they knew, like, Samaria was, like, their neighbor. They were like, well, well, like, who, who's my neighbor? Like, my next-door neighbor that like, lives beside me? And it, he was like, nah, like, like people. Like, when, when, I, when I'm beside you, you're now my neighbor. You're the person beside me. When I'm beside you, you're now my neighbor. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this is this dude coming up in here. And, and now you see, as we get <clears throat> to step into this environment, now you can see why they wanted to kill him. Right? Now you can see why they, because, oh, get, get him get him out of here. Like, he's, he's, he's stirring things up. He's a troublemaker. He's a rebel rouser, right? And then they started calling Jesus. Some of the things that we would call people, other people that would try to bring peace to a system that we have been comfortable with and now begins to speak against what we've always believed. And then we begin to call a person a troublemaker, not seeing truth within it. But Jesus was labeled a troublemaker. You know who else was labeled a troublemaker? Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, the man that we're like, be peaceful like him. Back in that day, he, he, he shut down bus stations, Rosa Parks. Um, uh, bridges, streets, sit-ins. If if we slide that 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 template to today's template, today he would be called a troublemaker, and we would be on the wrong side of history for it. Because you think who who in their right mind today will call Martin Luther King and what he did a troublemaker? Who who in the right frame of mind today would would would, would say that? But if we slide the template over and we're like, oh, I, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history when it comes to loving my neighbor. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And I would hope that the people of God don't want to be on the wrong side of history when it comes to loving their neighbor. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a valid point. Yeah. Um, so we have some uncomfortable questions. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and so if, if, if today you, you, maybe something has 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 stirred up your thing, hey, I, I, maybe I got this question that maybe I'd want to hear Tyree's perspective on. You can text that to two four zero three four seven zero eight nine seven. Dave, thank you for putting that up there on the screen for us because uh, I say that probably way too fast for you to pick <laughs> up on. And so if you, if you are, hey, I, I got this question that 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 maybe uh, might, might be asked. Uh, go ahead and text that. David will let us know. Uh, but uh, the, the first one we want to, to get at, and uh, it will get up here on the screen in, in a second, is uh, uh, how, how do you define white privilege? Okay. Wow. Right to the jugular, huh? Hey. Um, so, let's, let's, so the reason why I love talking to students 
It's because I feel like if you can't explain it to a child, you can't explain it to anybody. I don't like to talk over people's heads. All right, so I've, I've worked with youth uh, over half my life. But have you seen how tall you are? So I, right, so, so, so you are automatically. Uh, right, so I literally have to bring it down, <laughs> right? So this is why I love working with students, because if, if you can't explain it to a young person, chances are you probably really don't know how to explain it, all right? So when, when I see through the lens of uh, white privilege, I have to say, first of all, what is privilege, right? Um, so all groups have an element of privilege to them. Okay, um, there was a uh, what what privilege brings is a, a, a familiarity. It's a it's a comfort, a common language. You're fluent w- with it. There was a there was a uh, a post my, my friend had put up, and it said, uh, "Ladies, what would you do if men weren't allowed outside for 24 hours?" And to hear some of the responses, some ladies said, "I would put earbuds in my ear." And jog freely through the park. Like, oh, I guess it is an issue. You know, I will wear that dress that I've always wanted to wear in public. Oh, I go on. I'll walk around with a frown on my face and I have to worry about why are you, why aren't you smiling? What's wrong with you? Right? I'm like, oh, these are. So when, when I think about privilege, I, I think of a I think of a, a group, and not just because I, I want to take white away from it first, all right? And I want to look at a group that, as guys, I would say I'm privileged because I could put earbuds in my ear and go through a park without having any concern, right? But the females in the audience probably couldn't. So males, we have male privilege. At, at my job, I have black privilege. Like, well, the only time I was like, I have black privilege, right? <laughs> uh, I work with, I work with, I call him Mr. Martin um, at, at, at school. Um, and so as a black male at my school, I automatically come in with the privilege. I'm able to speak to the boys. Um, I'm already held at a certain um, respect level with, with them. Um, where Dave has to try to prove himself over and over. And over and over and over again, I'll come to him and say, gentlemen, let's have a seat. And you know what they'll do? They'll have a seat. But one of them might cuss at me. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, 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 are we okay? All right. And they'll, and they'll have a seat. Um, but how do I use that privilege? I use that privilege, and Mr. Martin can, can tell you. Is that, is that okay, Mr. Martin? Okay. Um, <laughs> 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 and so that's Mr. the first time he's ever been called Mr. Martin right. in this building. <laughs> and so, um, and so, Mr. Martin would tell you how how I use my privilege is there was an altercation one day, and um, and I kept reminding this student that Mr. Martin is not your enemy; he's actually the good guy right now, trying to help you out. He didn't see Mr. Martin as a good guy; like he he was mad at me, but he he didn't want to show it to me. He wanted to put it on him. Why? Because I had a privilege. And he saw him and he could be disrespectful to. And so I kept telling him, look, he's, he's a good guy. He's trying to get you in class. He's trying to get you to write a letter. That I, then it went outside. And then it started getting violent for Mr. Martin. And I stepped in and grabbed the guy. And he automatically just like, I'm just like, okay, I'm done. And then when we had to restrain him, one thing that I was telling him was, um, 
You, you, you will not hurt my friend. You will not disrespect my friend. That's how I use my privilege. So when we say white privilege, we, we, have, to, we have to say, okay, is, was, and, and it's, man, media is, I, I don't watch 24-hour news cycle, right? But I have enough friends that do that when they start saying the same thing over and over and over, I'm like, oh, okay, you got that from somewhere, right? So I keep hearing the term white privilege. Ask enough people. And so white privilege is not saying you didn't have to work hard for anything, right? When I walked in my black privilege at work, you know what? I didn't have to work hard for that. I just showed up on the scene and I automatically had it. But I can admit that. And so when it comes, but when someone says you had black privilege, I'm, not, I'm like, huh, yeah, I guess I do. I freely receive it. So we're not saying white privilege, be ashamed of it. God created you. With this skin color. He created me with my skin color. I don't have to be ashamed of my privilege when I walk into work. You shouldn't have to be ashamed of privilege. So, so what does this look like? It looks like through a system, was race a hurdle for you to obtain things? Or to get there? Was race a hurdle? And so for, for me, race was not a hurdle at work to, to get there. And I can freely accept that, freely receive it. But how do I use that privilege? I use that privilege to paint a picture of Mr. Martin as my equal. As my, and any time he would be done disrespectful, any time he would be disrespectful or counted as a less than, I use my privilege to lift him up in the sight of others. So how do we use privilege? How do you use privilege? Do you, do you use privilege as people that look like me, think like me, act like me will be the only ones accepted? Or we say people that, look, that don't look like me will receive receive the same respect, if not more, to lift them up so people around them can see him as an equal. And so that's how I use, that's my prayer. And then we look through the lens of people groups, people with, our society has taught us that people with glasses are what, typically? Smart. Smart, right? Yeah, glasses, oh, you must must be smart. Um, People, that are uh, people with red hair are like hot tempered, right? You meet a um, sorry, Miss Martin, but you meet a, a bald a bald guy with um, with well with tat tattooed, right? He, the bald guy tatted up. He's young. What 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 are you thinking? You know, Aaron skinhead, Aaron Asian. You know what I mean? Um, you you find uh, even uh, okay uh, uh, a blonde uh, a blonde lady, lady with blonde hair. What do you think? Yeah, 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 little little ditzy, right? Um, white guys, uh, good guys wear white. Bad guys wear cowboy and Indians. Who were the good guys? Who were the bad guys? How did Indians become the bad guys in America? See, we got to think, right? Our culture has trained us to think a certain thing about certain people groups. So to sit here and think like it doesn't bleed into my bleed into my worldview is crazy. That the fact that cowboy and Indians, Indians are the bad guys in the picture. How do we get there? How do we get there? Right? And, and, and so uh, we live in a we just lived in a biased system where people that look like us, think like us, act like us, we automatically give them the privileges because it's familiar and because it's fluent to us. And so we have to see. You have to see through, 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 through that lens 
how am I using my privileges? Am I using my privileges as a way to, to keep people that don't look like me, think like me, act like me away? Or am I using my privileges for people that don't think like me, act like me? And, and as, as long as their character is well, right? As long as their character is well, to bring them up so people around them can see they're my equal. And so you could define white privilege, black privilege, male privilege, female privilege. Like females, you have privilege. A couple times a month, y'all can act however y'all want to act, and we just got to accept it. <laughs> but then again, y'all have babies, so it, you get that pass. It is. You know, y'all can So we'll, we'll give you that pass. If, that's the, <laughs> if the other side of the coin is we have to have them, you can have the bad days. Uh, so, yeah, so and people grew say had privilege. So take the word white out, just how do you define your privilege? What do you do with your privilege? Does that make sense? So we're not saying, like, feel bad about it. And if media is making you feel bad about it, turn off media and go back to the word of God. You, you, you know, that, that he, who, he who has much, right? Uh, like, uh, like, even like Spider-Man would say, you know, um, he, what, what is it? He, um, come on, help me, my Spider-Man. When great power comes, great responsibility, right? Well, Scripture would come along, and, and Scripture would talk about those, those who have a lot. Man, we got a lot of responsibility when we have a lot. So if you're privileged and you have a lot, you have a great responsibility in, 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 in the matter. Yeah. So the, I don't know if the question is getting easier, but uh, <laughs> well, why, why does it seem like these days that everything seems to be racist? Yeah. So Why do we, go, why do we always seem to play that card? Right. Um, media and not knowing definitions. Um, definition of, does anyone know the definition of racist, racism? So if we don't know the definition, how can we keep saying it is something, right? So the definition of racist and racism is really that your race is more superior than another. That's Webster's definition of racism. You saying the black guy sitting to the right of you is not racist. That means he has vision. And me saying the white guy sitting to the left of me is not being racist, that means I have vision, and I can see that he, he's white. But racism would say, the, ew, the white guy sitting beside me, I'm above him because of his race. That's racism. So everything is not racism. When you believe that your race is more superior than another, now you have become racist. So if you don't believe that, guess what? You're off the hook. But if you do believe that the moment you see someone of a different race, you're better than them, then that is labeled racist. And I would say that that does not belong in the life of a believer. Because now we begin to look at the great Samaritan, I mean the good Samaritan. And we now begin to look at the teachings of Christ, and that was not in Christ at all. And if we are Christ-like, none of that should be inside of us. So what do we do? We repent of our racism. We repent of our racial tendency. We repent. The, the, the antidote for racism is repentance. Racism deserves repentance. So not everything is racist. Everything is racism. Uh, but when you do believe that your race is more superior than another, you have now entered into, pressure, in, into, into racism. And that sin need, desires repentance. Then we have prejudice. To prejudge. That's the root word for prejudice, to prejudge. Right? So just because I'm prejudiced doesn't mean I'm racist. Like, we prejudge people with glasses. 
we prejudge people. We in our society we prejudge older people. We prejudge you. Oh, y'all don't know nothing. Like, how can you be around for decades and decades and we feel like y'all don't know anything? <laughs> like that. That's 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 a ridiculous thought, right? A ridiculous thought. So in our culture, we prejudge older people. Now you might not still know how to navigate the apps on the cell phone, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't have wisdom <laughs> in other areas, right? That doesn't mean you don't have wisdom, nothing, but but because but because your knowledge doesn't yet doesn't quite fit my scenario right now, you're 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 you're, you're an outcast, right? We, we we find no value in 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 you. And as disrespectful as that sounds, it's just as disrespectful. We look at a people group that can't help you right now, and you disregard them. Our elderly right now, and in the state that we live in, are treated so foul, treated as less than, and pushed aside because of a value system. And so, right now, the younger people we would be privileged, and older people would not be privileged. And so, how does that feel, older people? It doesn't feel good at all, does it? It doesn't feel good at all being a minority. Does it? And so this is all we're talking about. Minority groups, how does a minority group feel? And how can a majority group look at a minority group and say, with our privilege, how can we lift you up so you can still be honored and respected the same? That's what this is all about. But now we're just adding race to it. Does, does this make sense? Does, does, does this help? All right. So are there, are there racist black people? All right. Are there, are there racist black people? That's, that's a great question. So, again, racism is to believe that your race is more superior than another. I personally have not met any, white per- any black person that believes that they are more superior than a white person. The reason why is because as a culture, like as a black culture, um, okay, let's, let's reverse it. As a, as a white culture, if my culture, black culture, what, what would we have to, um, to withhold from you that you would be disadvantaged because of? Just shout it out when you think of it. So as a, so as a, as a white culture, okay, um, what would a black culture or any other culture, any race of people, what, what could they withhold from you that you would be disadvantaged of that you, by not receiving? Does that, did that not explain it again? Or is it just hard to process through? Respect. Right. All right, now, let's reverse it. As a minority group, because white people are the, major, are, the, are the majority, right? As a majority group, what could you withhold <laughs> from a minority group that will put them at a disadvantage. What's that? The same, the, the same thing. R- r- respect. Could, 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 we look at, um, could we look at education? Could we look at um, finances like banks and loans and, and property? Could we look could also like, like those things, right? So I don't know any minority group that feels like the white group that they're like racist towards them thinking they're more superior because there's kind of nothing we could ever withhold from you 
that puts you at a disadvantage. Unless you're a white person that lives in like an all-black community, they're like, no, you can't come into the store. You can't be in, in our school or in our bank or something like that. Uh, but I have never met a racist black person. I have met, um, I have met some racist Africans that come like from Africa, and they have been colonized. Like white people come into Africa and colonized it and made it and made it like white. And and they and they hate that because they feel like their heritage is more superior. And a white racist come in and try to like water it down. And so many, uh, some of that I've seen have, have have been racist there because where they came from, they, they they were superior. And now they feel like okay, you came in, I'm more superior than you. But as a black American, someone that grew up in a, was born in America, I've never seen a black American feel like. They're racist, like the white, that they are more superior than the white race. Now, I have seen black people that are mad, angry, and hate white people, uh, but not racist. Does that make sense? Like, hatred doesn't mean racist. Just don't you think you're more superior than another race? You are now racist. Does, is, it, is, it, is it making sense? I'm trying to. It's hard because you can't see faces and lips, so you're kind of just like, you got to look for them out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and with that in mind, uh, you know, sometimes we, we wonder, you know, why, why, especially in a matter of time and how time has passed, you know, why is that, that sometimes we think, well, why can't black people just leave slavery in the past? Why, why, can't, they just, why can't we just leave the past in the past? Yeah. Um, and that's great, but we know with history, if you don't learn from the past, it's bound to repeat itself, right? That's young, young people. That's the reason you need to be in history class, because if you don't remember history, it's bound to repeat itself. And, and so, as we look through the lens of history, uh, when it comes to uh, the black culture, I don't know any black person who wants to keep being reminded of slavery. Like that's not like a badge of honor that you really want to keep. Um, so, so with that, I kind of look at it as a um, as this first. To me, America is the greatest land of opportunity, period. Proud to be an American. The greatest land of opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean that, this, that it doesn't have stains on it. It's, it, but it's the greatest land of opportunity. So imagine Monopoly. Is anyone there played Monopoly? Like the 12-day the game, right? And so I you, never play so, my son because he is right. cutthroat. I, I will play Monopoly Junior with you <laughs> when it has like five pieces, like five slides on each one, but not Monopoly where it has all. So, so imagine playing Monopoly for four hours, right? Playing Monopoly for four hours. Um, you get tired and you're like, all right, cool. Um, and you tell your son, here, take, take my pieces and keep playing the game, right? Um, but they say, I want to come in and I want to play. All right. Well, where do I start at? Do I start with your same pieces or do I need to start from go and collect $200 and make my way? Well, if you've already been playing Monopoly for four hours, chances are even if I get on Baltic or Mediterranean, I'm end up having to pay some uh, like rent, right? Or property taxes on it. So you look through the lens and it wasn't just four hours, but it was like 400 years of being able to hand down generations with generational wealth and property, and land, and all these things. Are you with me? You see where I'm getting at, right? So with this came a privilege. He could come in and not have to build a house or build a hotel. You, boom, it's yours. He should feel guilty. Bro, I didn't do anything. Like, I just showed up. I was born. 
And I was handed it. Like, that's not my problem. And it's not his problem, right? So he was giving it. So now someone else comes in. And so when it comes through the lens of slavery, it's not only did he work for the years, but another person worked for him for all those years. And then when it was time to, okay, now you're, now you're free. Oh, cool. Can, can, can I stay with you? No, you can't stay with me. Cause just because the law was, how many know that once laws are changed, people's hearts don't change with it? Okay? Just because something is, is made the law doesn't mean the heart has changed. All right, so now slavery is abolished, and now it's not like, yeah, you can come live with me because my heart's changed. No, you find your own place. You start over from ground zero while I have 400 years of supplies. You start from ground zero. And you know where they, what the names were of those places that, that they lived in? They called them ghettos. From ghettos. And so now you live in ghettos, and now you create your own school system. At this rate, we never taught you how to read. You create your own school system, your own church, your own uh, jobs. Have you ever heard of 40 Acres in a Mule? Has that ever? That wasn't really taught in history class much. But 40 Acres in a Mule was for every slave that was free, they would be given 40 Acres in a Mule. Because it wasn't that blacks were inherently lazy. Hello? Well, that they were inherently lazy. It was that we just can can I get two hundred dollars? Can I get some community chest while I'm going through this game? No, go find. And then the forty years in the mule that was promised was then taken away, and now you create it from ground zero, from ground zero. And then once you begin to come up well, then the Ku Klux Klan was started. Uh, peace officers, police officers were then dispatched to those areas to make sure that they stayed in their place. And they didn't come into other white neighborhoods. That's where peace, that's, that's where the whole system was created. To come over and make sure that they were staying in their place and they were good people. And if they were out of line, we could still take you from your neighborhood. So then, so then you got to live like antsy, like with trauma within your own community. And then this is where redlining came in. As, as, as it been taught in schools, redlining? Well, I'll tell you what, like, it, it's identified. So let, let's take a look at this map. Um, how many of you have heard of Jonathan Street? All right. Probably never been there, probably never put your shoes on Jonathan Street, but you probably believe you know a lot about it, right? Let's take a look at it. The, 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 the red button there is the, right. the pointer so the, if you want. So the bottom of this map right here is Summit Avenue, right? Summit Avenue at Franklin Street turns into what? It should stay Summit Avenue, right? Because street names shouldn't change. They should stay the same, right? So what does Summit Avenue turn, turn, turn into? Well, why would it turn into Jonathan Street? Why would it be, still be Summit Avenue? Because the Jonathan Street area was a black community that was redlined. Redlined means you don't get resources, financial resources, education. Everyone knows that property taxes go into schools. There's a school on Jonathan Street called the North Street School. It was the black school because blacks couldn't go to North High. So you had to have your own school. Where property taxes go into school systems and funding and education, well, what are schools going to look like? Right? You went to school with my dad. Right? But before that, could you remember the North Street School? And, and, And there was a lot of drama when integration became a thing. A lot of drama. There was fights at North High when the integration began to come. So, so Summit 
turns into Jonathan Street. And Jonathan Street from here, does it stay Jonathan Street? No, it turns into Forest Drive, and here it goes to Pennsylvania Avenue. Why is that? The systems are all around us, and we don't see it. So this is what happens. If you come and you fill out a job application, and the moment I see on your application the street you live on, you know, I don't even have to see you. I know where you're from. I know whether I hire you. I know whether I give you a loan. Now, let's take a look at this. So this is the John Street area. West Church Street. To stay West Church Street, it turns into East Avenue. Why is that? Why wouldn't West Church Street turn into like East Church Street? The whole name begins to change. So the Johnson Street area, by system of working, has been a red line, under-resourced, over-policed area that now has a stereotype, and you've never been on it. A crazy, right? Crazy. Just the systems that we work in, the systems that, 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 that we're in. So why can't black people let slavery alone? We wish we could, but systems have been set up. So now it's legal, like it's legal, uh, it's illegal to be racist, like within that like or, or organization, but there's systems still in place. And just because something is made a law doesn't mean that the hearts have changed. So back in the segregated 60s, how many grew up as teenagers in the 60s in here? I'm not saying you were part of the, the issue. I'm just saying, okay, so there's people still alive, right? And so if the heart hasn't changed, you would pass those same thoughts to your children and to your children. Hopefully my son not only has my DNA, but hopefully he'll get my worldviews. Hopefully what I instill in him will stick. Well, what happens if a person feels like these, this group of people shouldn't be near us? I embed that into him. So that every time he sees someone that looks like the people I taught him not to like, it stays in him. So now guess what happens when he becomes a boss or a superintendent or a principal? Who does he begin to favor? People that look like him, think like him. The people that don't look like him that I've trained him not to like, he pushes aside. So yes, the laws have changed. But as the monitor, has the heart changed. And so it's not that get over slavery. Like, that's not even an issue. It's understand that when you say that, those things don't come lightly. Uh, those things don't come lightly because back as, as early as the 60s, there has been segregation. And people are still alive with, with that. So it wasn't even like it was equal rights. It wasn't, it wasn't just, just like civil rights. Just be civil, right? We're not even talking about equality. Just be civil with the thing. Um, so yeah, so we got, so we got redlining, uh, the, the law. So, but then when we have, um, like just get over it, it will be awful for me to say when nine eleven comes for me to say, just get over it. Just get over it. How, how long ago was it? He, my son wasn't even born. Can, can we just get past it? Can we get over it? How foul does that sound? The Boston marathon bombing. Can we just get over it by now? Can we just get over it? We stop. Like, can, can we just, right? I mean, we say forget, get over slavery, but for 9 11, we say never forget. Why is that in our culture? 
And here we go back to how in the world are the Indians the bad guys? <laughs> right? So it's the system that we live in. But if we, do, but if we look at media for our source and our echo chamber, people that, think, that say the same thing that we do, if we stay within this, if we don't go back to the word of God as our source of information, we catch on a different worldview than what Christ is wanting to, to, to display to us. He said, don't go, don't go around Samaria. We need to go through it. We need to go through it. We need to have the conversations. We have to have people that don't look like us, think like us. We need to have those relationships. Yeah. The one that, one that came in to me, got yeah. this over again. Is, a, is cultural appropriation something that we need to worry about? Is cultural appropriation. What, what's your definition of cultural appropriation? That was my question, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. So when you or say, you're thinking out loud, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So when you say cultural appropriation, what 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 do you mean by that by definition of just that definition? Quote, like what do you think of when that? Can can someone can someone say that? Yeah. So I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that I think that's ridiculous. Um, what? No, I, is 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 cultural appropriate something that we need to be wor- worried about? I believe that when Christ literally talked about the Good Samaritan, he was introducing the life of the Samaritan to Jewish people. And the beauty, get this, the beauty of America was that all, that different races and cultures came in, and we learned how to coexist. That's the beauty. Of America, and if we didn't want that, then we got to apologize to the Native Americans, and then we got to leave. I know that's, that's not <laughs> you, you know what I mean. But cultural appropriation is what Christopher Columbus did. Hello, like, yeah, we're going to introduce our culture, and then we, as American missionaries, we go into other cultures, and what do we do? We introduce our worldview to theirs. Well, now, now that you're saved, ladies, you need to dress like this now. You need to do this. You need to do that. And we go to try to mess up the whole culture, try to make it like ours. We're guilty. Americans are guilty of going up to other countries and messing up their culture, right? But then we're like, well, you can't do that over here. We can enforce it over there. Does that, that make sense? Like, what's, there should be no difference. Could, could a white person go over the top of the stand? Please, especially if you're not eating seasonings right. Like, please, you make a good like, taco. If you make a good taco, like, I'm, I'm there. Yes. I am there. It's not just Taco Tuesday. It's Taco Any Day. Yeah, Taco Any Day. Yeah, the more tacos, the better. So, <laughs> it doesn't matter what culture you are, make those tacos good. I'll, I'll show up, and I'll be, be there. And why do we feel like other cultures can't do other things? That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't even doesn't make sense. Like only, like, only Spanish culture knows the ingredients for tacos? Like that doesn't that doesn't even like register. I, mean, I when I look at it through a biblical worldview, I'm like I don't even see how that is even um, how that could be a believer stand. How that how that could be a believer stand. Yeah. Uh, how can I use my privilege to support brothers and sisters in Christ who don't have it? Yeah. So I think it goes back to uh, what is my privilege, and how can I help? So I think the I think the most practical step is to. Uh, within your circles, begin to change the conversation. So if, if I'm in a circle of, you know, if I'm in a circle of black people 
and they begin to like dog uh, my white brothers and sisters. That's my responsibility to speak in my circle and speak truth. No, that doesn't go down. That, 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 that does not happen. So what's the responsibility to a white culture? When you're in your circles and they begin to dog other races, as a believer, you use your privilege to step in and say, no, that does not happen. Does that mean you might not be invited back to the family reunions and cookouts? Yes. But does it mean you stood for truth? Yes. And my question is, is, is the cost worth it? Is the cost worth it? Because as believers, we would stand up and speak about every other thing, right? Uh, abortion, other issues. Oh, we have strong stance on that, right? But with the issue of race, how come we're not so fluent? It's not like this is a new thing. It's not like it's a new thing. I, t- I was telling Pastor Mike that COVID was a thing of, of mid-March, just snuck up on us out of the blue, right? Boom! This explosion of, of something. Well, the church learned how to exit, how to go online, how to go through all these procedures, how to introduce people back, social distancing, masks. We learned how to do all that within a, a matter of months to something that was brand new. How come the church still doesn't know how to talk about race? Is it because it's not important enough? It's an issue, but to me, COVID affected financial resources, um, uh, relational uh, involvement. So then we became invested into it because it mattered to us. And so with the issue of race, my question is, does it matter enough to you to become fluent? Because now the church is pretty fluent. When it comes to COVID, we kind of know what to do. We're, we're kind of fluent. But if we're not fluent in the issue of race, it could be because if you look around, there's not many people that don't look like you in your circles. So you're not fluent because you don't know how to navigate those conversations. I know how to navigate these conversations because I have not been the majority in a lot of spaces. But I've had to be forced to have these conversations. That's why I can be as fluent. Uh, so I, I don't know if I asked this question, but as a um, uh, with the with the privilege thing and with uh, lifting up brothers and sisters of Christ, try, just try to get a lens of it. Um, when, as can, can we just say black and white? Is that okay? Because I feel like I'm dancing around the issue. It's white as white people, um, that's so difficult to try to be PC. Because <laughs> um, I'm totally not. My son is like, no, you're not. <laughs> you literally go straight to the jugular. Um, so as as white people. Um, think of a time in your life where you have been uh, the minority for a long, consistent amount of time. As a white person, when have you been the minority for a long and consistent amount of time? And so if you haven't, my desire, my hope for you is that you would pause before you begin to speak about a minority group. Because if you haven't been there, you, how do you even know how to have the conversation if you've never been there? That you might be able to take from your lens, like I said, about females, right? If you look through the lens of that, like, dad, especially if you go up the ladder as far as uh, professionalism, there may be less females there. So then you can say, okay, maybe not as a white person, but maybe as a female, I've been there. And now my question is, how did you feel in that moment? And what, did you wish somebody would listen to you? And do you wish that your uh, opinions would be taken uh, to heart? 
You know, uh, we uh, e- even at uh, we'll even go into like the elderly pop, pop population who would be the minority group because you don't get as much say. Uh, how do you feel, o- older people? How do you feel as a minority group that's often over time overlooked and not funded, having to pay so much for like medication and all all this? Stuff? Like, like how how do you feel as a minority group in in in, in that system? We we uh, so how 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 does that feel? It doesn't feel good. Do you wish people would listen to you and not overlook you? Same thing we're saying about all minority groups. Just pause enough to listen and hear the heart, especially if you're a believer. That should totally be part of the fruit of 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 your character. It's just pause long enough to listen. I'm not saying I gotta agree, but I'm saying I gotta at least love you through listening. Taking what you have to say for, for heart. As a white race, you probably do not know what it is to be a minority. If you look at your life, you're like, how how has it been when I've been a minority? And what did I need? And what did I want people to do? Then we can kind of attach that to other minority groups and say, oh, maybe because we're human, we all have the same we all have the same desires to be listened to and not overtalk and not um, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. How do I not know what I'm talking about when I experienced it? How how's that work? How do you know more about being a black person than I do? Because I don't know what it's like to be an older white person. How can I tell you how you feel? I can't. So what do I have to do? I have to listen. I have to listen to your heart. I have to. I have to be slow to speak and quick to listen. That sounds very biblical. I think I've, I think I've read that. Somewhere. I think I've read that. Yeah. I think yeah. I think, I think a great guy named James and something like that. Yeah, so that's how you use your privilege to support. Same way I use my super privilege, my black privilege to support Mr. Martin, <laughs> um, is I use my privilege to elevate him, right? Because his character is well, I use it to elevate him, to let the people around me know, in a sense, like he's just as good as I am, right? And so he, he will not be rejected. He will not be disrespected. He will not be cast down. He will not be minimalized. Because he is my equal. Because he's my brother. Not the same color, but he's my brother. And that's how I use my privilege. That's how we all can use our privilege. Yeah. I think this is the last one. Can, can, can you believe that black lives matter without supporting black lives matter? I love this. I love this. I love this question. Yeah. So um, D.L. Moody. Has anyone ever heard of D.L. Moody? Uh, D.L. Moody, great, great, great preach. So, a lady came up to him and said, I don't like the way you evangelize. And D.M. Moody said, well, how do you do it? And she said, I don't. And he said, well, I like the way I do it better. And she's like, oh, okay. So with this, I would say, can you support Black Lives Matter without supporting the, or- the, the organization Black Lives Matter? I, I would say yes. Because I don't look for secular organizations to give me as a believer the lead of what I need to do. Any secular or organization. But then I would say, how do you support black lives and prove that they matter? And if you don't, that would take the turn to D.L. Moody and say, then I got to like the way they're doing it better than you. Because at least they're bringing it up to the forefront and are not letting it die out. I believe that the organization has become a verbal proclamation because a church has been silent. Say that again. 
I believe the organization has become a verbal, a verbal proclamation because the church has been silent. And so then it takes a secular organization to say, listen, we got a problem. If you're not going to listen, those that don't, my, my dad had a phrase, those that don't listen have to feel, right? He's basically saying, if you don't listen, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to spank you. <laughs> if, if you don't listen, if you don't listen, you got to feel, right? And, and so to me, the organization Black Lives Matter is saying, there's a, there, there hasn't been listening. You're not listening. And I've worked with young people long enough to know that when you don't listen to like their like their their body uh, language, like when they start going like this, they, they you got to do something with them because they're about they're about to explode. You're like, and they're letting you know that there's a problem. And if you don't see that, then they start like fidgeting with stuff. And then they start. And if you don't listen to it enough, it begins to build, begins to build, it begins to build, and then explodes. It's not just children, man. We do it as adults. Hello? But we're not listening too long enough. We, it begins to build. We begin to explode. This is why we yell at our spouse the most. They're not our enemy. They're not our enemy. It's like you've been packing everything down so much that it gets to a point where it becomes a powder keg and it, 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 it explodes. I believe the organization Black Lives Matter is, a, is the response to a silent church. We, the church, should have taken the lead on Samaritans. We should have taken the lead. We should have taken the lead in our circles of influence. When they begin to belittle and minimize a culture, we should have, we should have spoken up. Yes, it's no longer lawful to segregate, but do we see that within our systems? Yes. And what have we done? What well, didn't bother me, so I ain't saying nothing about it. I would have to say, now, if another organization is doing it, how can we belittle it? How can we? Now, it may not be using God results to get there, but shouldn't that be the church's response now to say, how do we create a God? Like, how, how do we still not know how to do it? We know how to do COVID well. How do we still not know? You know why? Because it's going to take guts. It's going to take you dying a social death, bearing your own social death on, on a cross with your friends and with your neighbors. Isn't that what Christ said? We take up a cross and we follow him? Is it worth the cost? Or do we just do it through lit service and never through action? What are, what are some entry-level things? What are some baby steps, maybe some a little more advanced steps? Hey, we, we want to want to kind of do this and move into this, but I, I, I don't know that first step. I, I, I want the end goal, but... Yeah. I would say all believers hopefully want the end goal of, of like, and it's not like, like you said, the liberty, just pursuit of happiness, that's not even found in scripture, right? Um, I pray that, you're, that you prosper as your soul prospers. That's in scripture. So what is entry level? Entry level to me is, is, is basics. In your circles, speak truth in your circle. That's it. Speak truth in your circles. So if we're talking and it's exchanging, it's going on and there's a group of people around us and um, say there's a person that is uh, coming out, out of their mouth wrong about different groups of people and we as peacemakers... That's scriptural, right? We as peacemakers, we hear it. 
And then you speak up, nah, nah, listen, nah, I need to set it straight. Da da da. When, when you talk to him, guess what else is happening? Everybody else is listening. Everyone else, and everyone else is taking cues of what's going on. When somebody doesn't listen, and that loud mouth person begins to overtake with, with, with wrong thinking, everybody begins to be doctrinated into that belief system. And that hasn't been a good thing, has it? It hasn't. So when a peacemaker begins to speak up and begin to speak uh, truth and love uh, and begin to uh, direct them to- towards truth, the circle begins to listen. It begins, it begins to change the circle's mind. Well, guess what happens? When this person is in another circle, they now heard it. They now become fluent, right? They now become fluent so that they can speak up in their circles. And guess who else is around? Three, four, five other different people. And then those people begin to speak to those people. And those people begin to speak to those people. If you're not willing to speak in your own circle, then don't condemn someone else for speaking up. Because you don't have the heart to do it. This is dying the death <laughs> that Christ, like, like this is the social death. You thought it was easy, like Christ just showed up on the scene talking to Jews about Samaritans. It went to a well, to a Samaritan woman, and began to speak to her. Like that was uncultural. You didn't do that. We, we worship on, on mountaintops, and you worship in temples. Like, why are you even talking to me? He was making a statement there. And when he talked about the Good Samaritans, he's literally talking in his circle so other people can listen. And he's saying, this is how we interact. This is how we love. This is how we speak life. And the people groups that, that we have condemned for such a long time, this is how we do it. And yes, you will have people that, that will be mad at you. But my question is, is it worth the cost? 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 And if it is, then speak up. And if it isn't, ask yourself, why isn't it? Is it because you're too comfortable? And it, it's, uh, it's going to be hard. <laughs> um, privilege is not a pie, right? It's like if, if, I, if, if I begin to elevate other people, it's not like you get less pie. It's not like you have less of something. I think sometimes we think that. Like, well, if I, if I do this, then I'm going to lack. It's like, nah, man, he freely gives to us. He freely gives to us. So my question is, is it worth the cost? It's, it's worth the cost to me. It's been worth the cost. We had to deal with this stuff since I was in middle school. From middle school all the way up to last year at age 42. I was, at, um, I was at Myrtle Beach on vacation, and uh, we had these little golf cart routes. And back then, you could give high fives to everybody. Back then, you, know, you remember back when you give high fives to people? <laughs> um, so, so 2019. Uh, and, so, um, <laughs> and so we give like high fives to people, boom, 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 boom. And this golf cart goes by, and this girl who was a preteen, a pre- preteen age, she looks at me and says, oh, he's black. He needs to go back where he came from. And guess what was the rhetoric at around that time last year? Because when we were telling women that were in predominant positions of power, if you don't like it here, go back to where you came from. She's a preteen. Where did she hear that from? At, 
at, at a dinner table in the car while her parents are, are, are talking, our kids are listening. She looks at me, Pastor Tyree, who probably take a bullet for anyone in here. She looks at me and says, ew, he's black. He needs to go back where he came from. Now I have a decision to make. Do I yank her off her golf cart? <laughs> nah, because the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, allows me to pull up to the side by the pool and cry my eyes out. 42-year-old black man, six, six, six foot four, over 350 pounds. I go park beside the side of a pool and I begin to cry. Why? That it's the same nonsense I heard when I was in middle school. I speak on stages with thousands of preteen students in the stage, lifting them up, uh, encouraging them. It takes one preteen girl on a golf cart to break it. Because my thought is, where are we going? Where, where in the world are we going? Where are we going as a, as a, as a society? Now, what would have been great is if the other golf cart heard it and then they corrected the situation. Because then guess what happens? Everyone hears and now they know it's not acceptable anymore. And then they become the speak. But the moment I begin to speak, I'm all oh, angry black man. Number one, we got a situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it takes the out, someone from the outside coming in, man, and speaking into those situations. Don't stay quiet. Like, don't, don't say, are, are, these, are these your kids? So it's probably some hurdles. They'll, they'll experience some, some, some hurdles. Th- thank you for taking on the, taking on the, the calls or the challenge. Um, but just as just as adoption happened, he adopted us. He adopted us. And if we don't get that, like that's that's the elementary level of Christianity. We're all adopted into the family. And non-believers are just people that don't understand that they have the opportunity to be adopted. And my language on social media and how I speak should be in such a way I can tra- I can segue into a gospel conversation so they can receive the hope of Christ. Not in such a way that if a non-believer looks at then I begin to talk about Christ, they're like, Christ? What Christ? What Christ are you talking about? That doesn't look like a biblical Christ to me. We got to watch what we say. We got to watch what we say. So some of us, we might have to go and take down some stuff on social media. Like we can't look at millennials and think they got it wrong. I, I see a lot of older people getting it wrong all day on social media. When we talk about millennials. Yeah, so just speak up. Speak up in your circles. The only thing that's going to fix all this is the gospel. And and I I look around, I know many of us have already chosen Jesus. Maybe some of you at home have, have, you know, we say, Jesus is my Savior. Maybe today, some of you heard something has sparked something, yeah, I need to make that step. And uh, we'd love to be able to partner with you and walk with you through that process. You help, uh, let us know two ways uh, by filling out the connection card at cchmd.com slash connect. And uh, on that connection card, you can click Becoming Christian. And uh, we'll get that and we'll follow up with you. You can also text LIFE to 240-347-0897. We'd love to, to follow up with you and, and walk with you through this and, and help you uh, find the grace that's been offered through Jesus. because. None of our hearts will change by legislation, by presidential edict, by presidential uh, election, uh, but only through the grace of God uh, can we be 
shaped and changed and molded. We all have been adopted or have the opportunity to be adopted into his family. 